Horse Player Happy Hour makes its return next week on Thursday. Get ready, folks. You can sign up, I think, as of Monday. We'll be tweeting about it. Horseplayers.com is the place. And if you don't know what it is, it's an interconnected series of contests. We'll roll from next week through the Breeders' Cup, and there's $20,000 added to the prize pool at no expense to players. That's in the form of two Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats, and it's not like you have to play every week to have a chance to participate in that prize pool. One of them you do, but the other, any week you finish in the top two, you'll get in a special tournament at the end of the year and have a chance to uh, cash some of that added money. The other great thing about Horse Player Happy Hour, the VIG goes to charity. Our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and also the TAA, who do that important work of accrediting aftercare organizations. Check my social media at Looms Boldly for more and sign up early next week at horseplayers.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for the races of Saturday, June 3rd. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, we've got a loaded show for you with racing from around North America. And we're going to start off north of the border to talk about a stakes-laden pick four at Woodbine. Racing at Woodbine, getting real good with the turf racing back and some very exciting stuff happening up there. And to talk about it with you, we bring in our man we always turn to when it comes to Woodbine. He's also your reigning Breeders' Cup betting challenge champion. He's Drew Cody. Drew, what's going on, my man? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, beautiful day up here in uh, northern Michigan. It's our last weekend up here, so going to enjoy some racing, kick back, and get some yard work done, and uh, yeah, try try and do uh, this, the early summer months as best we can. Love the sound of that. We've got, speaking of the BCBC, some other contests coming up we want to talk to people about. Pick your prizes this weekend down at Monmouth. I'm going to be on hand at Monmouth Saturday and Sunday. There's also a smaller contest on Sunday. Folks looking for details about that, go to the Monmouth Park website or reach out to Brian Skirka. The, the Pick Your Prize contest does close at some point today, so do not waste any time right away. Go to your ADW provider, and they're going to be, speaking of Woodbine, also um, available through HPI Bet this year as well for the first time. Kind of a cool development. Maybe we'll talk to Klaus about that a little later in the show when he's here to talk JRA. But yeah, that's the that's this weekend. And then next weekend, I think we've got competing contests. We've got one taking place, a two-day event at Naira and through Naira Bets, a Belmont Day contest. And then also, Drew, I know you're getting involved in the Express Bet contest that's also going to be next weekend. What can you tell people about that? Yeah, it's a $1,500 entry fee. So if you're going double-barreled, three grand. They're offering all sorts of great seats. I think they have a BCBC seat up, uh, two NHC seats up, and a Pegasus World Cup seat up. Uh, based on 100, 100 entries, I think they'll get close to that because the price point is a little lesser um, than the uh, the Naira Belmont contest. They kind of sit in that middle ground of, of being one of the minor contests. And I use that in quotations because it's still a lot of money uh, at $3,000 to be double-barreled. But um, I, I think it's great. I think they're also going to have, uh, based on 100 entries here, I'm reading uh, over 20,000 in cash prize pools as well. So cash contest uh, and 
it should be just for Saturday. So I'm pretty excited. I'm actually going out to Santa Anita uh, to be there in person. So pretty excited to play. And I think I've discovered one thing about my contest play is in person is best. I don't know if it's because I'm in the zone more. There's no distractions when you're at home. Um, you're really in in focus and, and at the task at hand. So um, the last two live events I've played uh, have finished pretty well um, for the cash contest. Uh, for the NHC live, I can't say the same. Uh, finished to maybe top third of the field or so, middle of the field, which isn't really saying much because uh, yeah. I didn't one bring spot in out of the money. One spot out of the money there is the same as last. Yep. It's, yeah, it's it really is. <laughs> but no, that's a good point. And I mean, I think it comes down to horses for courses and just personal preference. I mean, for me, I think I'd be way more focused sitting here in the bunker with my five screens going. But if you've got that comfort zone playing live, plus certain contests, and I think Santa need to do this, will offer a bonus for the best finisher who's uh, on site. Now, you're going out to Santa Anita. You mentioned, are they going to make you sing for your supper? Are you going to be on the, the simulcast show with uh, with TQ that day? Absolutely. On Belmont Day, TQ has me scheduled. Um, going out there, my dad's first time at a racetrack. And what a racetrack to go visit out there. So can't thank the Santa Anita folks enough uh, for hosting me out there. Tom Quigley and Frank Scatoni and the gang. I'm looking forward to saying hi to everyone and having uh, taking in the sights and sounds on Friday and Saturday. So if anyone's around... We'll be floating in the Eddie Logan sweep, but looking forward to seeing some fans out there. And yeah, uh, I'm sure you'll do, time. you'll do a few races, I'm sure, down at Quigley's Corner, which pretty much everybody knows where that is at Santa Anita. Come, come say hi. We always love that. It's one of the, the funnest things about doing this job is getting to wander around and, and see people who uh, enjoy the stuff we do. As I, I say that at the end of the shows, and I mean it. That's what makes this stuff so fun to do is getting that feedback. And we're very lucky that outside of, you know, like one guy in his basement in Las Vegas, the feedback is entirely positive. So with that, we will dive into... Woodbine on Saturday. We're going to look at these last four races, starting with race number six, which is an allowance race for fillies and mares. We're going the flat five furlongs on the inner turf here. And Drew, who do you think is going to get the victory? I like these sequences of races. I wanted to start off with that. I think Woodbine's gearing up perfectly, and these are great competitive races. And I'm going with the number one go-go shoes listed at three to one. I'm not sure we'll see that price on the day. Um, Because I kind of have in my notes, not sure how this one loses because has been running some very competitive figures against some tougher competition. I think it's just going to get a perfect ground saving trip and press that pace. And last out was a bit of a dud, but maybe needed that uh, the break that this one gets today, a little bit of a freshener and had some slow fractions to close into and ran fifth in a a 11 horse field. So I imagine this one gets bet down a bit, like I said, and uh, I really do like the three to one price. Anything above two to one feels like good value. And then I wanted to use a little bit of a long shot in here with the number six breathing fire at 12 to one Um, last start out flopped, but I think we can make some excuses with the sloppy surface. And I think caught a lot of dirt after the horse got shuffled back. So the figures were progressing nicely on the turf uh, in three starts and comes back today with another freshener and, the trainer is 23% with these types of breaks. So needs a bit of a pace to run into, but at 12 to one, I think breathing fire is an interesting play. I'm with you on breathing fire. I thought it was very interesting live, um, presumably off the layoff here for a barn that does really well 
with these type of layoffs and is into the Todd Barn is just in such strong form right now. I was a little oppo with go-go shoes. I just worry that the flat five is a little too sharp for her. Just looking at that race at Gulfstream two back, granted it was a saltier allowance race, but just being far back in a, with a pace couldn't quite get there. Might can get the job done as a contender, but I, I leaned away for that reason. I went with a long shot on top, number four, Mimi's Golden Ring. This is the old angle with a surface switch providing a much better figure. I think that the switch from synth to turf shouldn't be much of a big deal. There's a hint of turf on the damn side. I like the good looking work on turf the other day. Second time off the layoff now and on time form US pace figures could be loose. It's going to take a little bit of a shot with that price as well as breathing fire. And I wanted to have a little bit of the seven old blondie in there as well. Now I know the last race was wire to wire, but this time around third off the layoff from the outside post was hoping maybe she could let those other runners go, presumably the two and the four and just sit in there and get a perfect trip. So I was going to mess around Four, seven, and six. One and six for Drew. Interestingly, neither of us with the morning line favorite here, Basalt Street, the three runner. Um, do, do, do you think this one is a, a contender who you're just not that interested in, or is this horse you're actively trying to beat? I, I'm actively trying to beat. I'm not sure why installed at the morning line. Maybe the the back Yeah, just the figures overall don't really speak to me and has yet to produce a figure on the turf that, jumps out and says, yes, this, this horse can win. Granted those two turf tries were uh, at three. Yeah. And now this horse is four getting the third start or fifth. Yeah. Fifth start in the four-year-old campaign. So I think the ceiling has been met a little bit and just none of the, none of the figures have jumped out to me. So I also think the pace sets up a bit odd. Um, Cause I feel like this one might, be set a little bit in the no man's land uh, it's not quite a closer it's not quite a presser kind of i could see this one getting into some traffic trouble drawn in the middle with some inside and outside speeds so i don't know nine to five if if basalt street was four to one five to one maybe but i i just don't see it quite yet on paper i get it all right let's move to the first of our two graded stakes races it's the royal north we've got phillies four and up going six and a half on the turf in this spot And this is a race where I was mainly focused on two runners. The two base storm I thought would get a good forward trip in this spot. I like the blend of speed and stamina that base storm has. Six and a half should be no issue for a horse proven going longer and fast enough to be effective going shorter. I thought this was a favorite I wanted to be with in the elongated sprint. And I wasn't going to ignore the 10 runner a day in Asia in this spot just based on the overseas form um, a winning type and i just think those races overseas are going to stack up very well with these it's sort of an unusual one who's run through all conditions overseas with the seven wins but you know i think has a chance to do well in uh in in a softer grade two kind of race over here and that's what a day in asia faces so i was looking at it two and ten how do you see it yeah the only thing i'll add i have the top choice of the number two base storm like you Two back just had a loose leader trying to chase down and then last out against Caravel, and we know how good that horse is. So back company really speaking well and a bit of a pace disadvantage. 
And then I'm also going to use as a backup the number 10, A Day in Asia, for the reasons you noted. And then another backup that's interesting is the number eight, Baby No Worry, had the toughest of trips against the flow and widest of all with the, a lot of ground loss, where we know ground loss really does matter on these all-weather tracks at Woodbine. And number five, our flash drive is also in that race and kind of got the best of it in terms of not only a pace but a trip, being close, having the ability to make uh, a nice early move uh, where where near the pace. And I think just it kind of had an easy ride at it. And I think the number eight baby, no worries have had the toughest of it. So with a bit, bit more pace up front and a better run, I think it's set up perfectly for this runner as well. So yeah, I'm like two, yeah. yeah, I'm two, eight, two with a little eight, 10 in there. Yeah. I think that's an interesting idea. Certainly. I think baby, no worries, an interesting candidate to potentially reverse the form with our flash drive at a multiple of the price based on that analysis. Let's move to our next stake. It's the grade three bell Mahone. We're going a mile and a 16th on the synthetic and we've got the return to the races of uh, the excellent Moira who uh, was so impressive last year, nearly winning a grade one after, uh, after that super impressive plate win. What do you think? Are you with Moira or against in this spot, Drew? I tried. I tried to stand against so hard, but it's just really you can't. It, it's <laughs> glaring. Yeah. Go ahead. I was saying ultimately you couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And where where I started in my like prox- prosecution against Moira was the pace setups of the red uh, time form fraction setting up for the closes. But when you look at those fractions, um, I think Moira could darn well be near on the lead in this race that doesn't have a ton of pace in it. So I think this is Moira's race. It's going to be a paid workout and I really don't see any, anything that scares me too much in this race. She's just faster than these. The champ, uh, you know, hasn't been seen in a while, but looks to be training well for the barn. That's going so well, does very well in this category. And then, you know, uh, Kimura, it's great to see him back in the irons as well and that he's been working her i, I just think all signs lead to to moira in this spot not gonna spend any money trying to try to be don't blame anyone if you can come up with a creative uh, or interesting idea but i it, it, it ain't me I, I think she's gonna be able to get the job done hopefully the fact that she on a pace projector looks like she's gonna be far back anyway means we can get a little bit better than should be priced and that's like by that i mean three to five instead of two to five i don't think we can open for anything better than that in the spot we'll see how it plays out on saturday race number nine maidens three and up phillies and mares seven and a half on the turf who do you like to close this thing out yeah i think you could really use any of them but i landed on two to try and narrow things down i think if playing in multi-sequences you could get some value here especially if you uh say play a double uh, six race six into seven take all those winnings dump it on moira if she stays at two to five right say take take your 50 bucks and turn it into 200 two to five uh 250 ish and then uh can play some play some horses in this race here and then the number one mo tough i think it's no number 11 i i, I think I have number eight is mo tough I'm sorry, I have a typo here. So the number eight, Mo Tough, just based on the trips the last two out, were really tough trips and had a lot of trouble down the lane. And I think with a bit more clear run, should be able to get the best of these. Um, so number eight, Mo Tough, is the morning line favorite. I'm siding with this horse. I'm also going to use the number one, Instructable, at six to one. Um, drops into the right company after just 
absolutely getting crushed in a maiden special weight event and I think could get another little inside ground saving trip and uh, jump up and figures a little bit on the turf. So a couple question marks, but I think we're getting paid there um, at the six to one price. I can't imagine dropping much, much more below that. We're very similar. Once again, I have Mo Tough on top. I noted the horror trip. I think this is the right field. And, you know, Woodbine, it's interesting this time of year. You get to a point where a lot of the horses have the local form. Some are still coming off layoffs. So I more than usual will dig in and look at how trainers do off certain types of layoffs. And I like the trainer stats for Motoff. I think we're going to see a peak effort and a maiden win from this one. The other one I was interested in was the three Delawina princess this horse um, being a a first-time starter but there's some encouraging things here three of the seven siblings won first time out i like the looks of the works especially that work four back cassie has good marks with first-time starters he's the rare trainer who you don't see a huge jump up second time out off first time out but i think that's just because he brings them over ready mine shaft certainly below average with a giant sample with first-time starters but I'm not too worried about that in this spot just because I don't see a whole lot else if Mo Tough doesn't do the business. 8-3 for me, 8-1 for you, Drew. We look forward to hearing some tales from you out in uh, out in California. And Likewise, thank you. Klaus Ebner up next right after this. We have a new sponsor here at In The Money Media. Wanted to tell you about It's Cut, K-U-T-T. This is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's legal in 37 states plus D.C. where you can bet on sports, politics, and pop culture. Cut handles the payment side of things so you never have to chase anyone down for money. Tons of social features, group chats, betting leaderboards, much, much more. Cut, the social betting platform that lets you put your money where your mouth is. Check it out, kutt.com. And right now we've got a special offer for In The Money Media listeners, a 10% deposit bonus up to 100 in credits when you use our promo code INTHEMONEY. Check it out now, cut.com, In The Money. As promised, next up on the show, we have our friend who shows up here periodically to talk JRA and sometimes about Woodbine and uh, various other topics as well. Might get him going on some uh, Swedish harness racing a little bit later on. He's Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what's going on? Hey, Pete. How you doing? Things are great. Actually, I know where I'll start with you. The HBI bet customers for the first time have an opportunity to play in the Pick Your Prize contest this weekend (laughs) at Monmouth. Now, only the early birds listening to this show are going to have the opportunity because it closes Friday afternoon. But that's pretty cool. Is that a a technology we can look forward to seeing more with cross-pollination of the loyal contingent of Canadian HBI bet players being able to play in some of these uh, domestic contests for us? Yeah, certainly, Pete. It's been uh, really a a goal of our our wage our team in wagering here at Woodbine to really allow our Canadian players to not have to always you know whether it be travel down south to participate um, but really kind of getting the you know awareness out there and and the ability to allow our players to actually participate in these contests so yeah we're we're certainly very happy and I think we're also very happy with the fact that those that don't know uh, we're actually going to be going to have two BCBC events actually at Woodbine this year one for Kings Plate and then one for the Woodbine Mile so Fantastic. very happy yeah, very happy to work with the BCBC on that and to have, you know, our, our players participate. And, and you know, at that point, we certainly want to invite right now all of the, uh, you know, players down south and international players that want to participate, however they can, to uh, either make the trip to Woodbine for some of these events or to, uh, you know, contact their ADW and, and let them know they want to play. 
winning your inaction for the Breeders' Cup is going to be coming fast and furious for the next several months. You've heard elsewhere on the show our ad for the return of Horse Player Happy Hour next week. Maybe we'll be recapping the winning your in race from Japan that we'll be talking about right now. It will be uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning, the G1 Yasuda Kinen. And we've got some very familiar names in here. I'll start with the Breeders' Cup question. How likely do you think it is that the winner of this race will take up that uh, that invitation potentially, Klaus? Um, you know, I, I, there is some conflict with uh, a, another race in Japan being the Mile Championship. That's run, you know, the, the second week of November, roughly, uh, give or take third week maybe. But anyways, that's going to be always the challenge for any of these horses that have uh, are going to be running in this race here this weekend. So, you know, I, I think depending on the winner, um, you could see some that, some that actually may want to say, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll take my chance. You know, if, if it's one of the Sunday racing horses, yeah, I think there's more, a, more of a, a likely chance of them going. You know, I know that uh, Songline was one horse that was actually penciled in for the British Cup Mile last year, but then yep. uh, she developed, a, you know, a fever and some issues, so she wasn't shipped over. But, you know, she she had a, a great effort last time out. So if she bounces back with another star effort here in the UC of Keenan, then she could be one that we, we may see Chanel Meister as well as by Sunday racing. So, you know, I think there are a few in here that, uh, that may ship, you know, they're also one of the favorites again, not trying to get into the field itself, but um, you know, Serifos, who was also one of the favorites in this race, if not the favorite, you know, they've already shipped him to Dubai. So you can see they have a, you know, at least a, a comfort with shipping the horse outside of Japan. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say no in here, but, uh, you know, we'd certainly love to see some of them ship across. Yeah, looking forward to increased Japanese um, presence at the Breeders' Cup this year. It sounds like there are a number of horses that are already being pointed, and it sounds like a lot more decisions will be being made in the next couple months. Yeah, and I think the the, the biggest you know change, I think, in, in mentality for some of the Japanese trainers, and listen, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's 100% a change, but... You know, I think over the past, you know, we'll say five years now, the Japanese have sent over quite a, a number of really talented horses to the Ark, uh, yes. only to see them falter over what's usually a bog that day or, you know, unfavorable, uh, whether it be unfavorable sort of, you know, pace scenarios or surfaces. So I, I just, I'm not saying that they're they're kind of getting shy from going to the Ark, but you know, it's just when you when you see a horse like Title Holder, who really, uh, you know, was, was in my opinion a standout in Japan in terms of quality and ability. You know, go to go to the arc and then falter, and then you know, some people are, some people are saying, and again, I'm not saying this is the case, but some people in Japan are saying, well, maybe you know, just that that run in the arc really just you know injured him and just didn't do right by him because of the effort he had to put in, and he hasn't been the same since. And you know, there's lots of arguments to say, yeah, they're right that you know the the run in the arc may be the reason why he's he's injured now and again i'm not trying to point fingers but just you know again uh he hasn't been the same really since he got back to japan and he's, he's injured now on the shelf and he may not return so uh, it's interesting it's interesting to kind of see the mentality there and and the fact that is a, a short ship across the uh pacific from japan to santa Anita this year will also you know lead to an increase in, in japanese runners and again uh, like you like you mentioned pete love to see them more and more come across you could see France's loss in that regard if it turns out to be being our gain. And it makes sense. A lot of these horses, they've got form um, over this type of ground, the firmer ground, the bottomless 
bog as it is some years in the arc it wouldn't seem on paper to suit many of them so especially with the california breeders cup i i say let's see it well let's talk specifically about this yasuda kinen so many familiar names in here uh you mentioned already about songline and that key form line potentially from the victoria mile that was some finish uh, the last day uh, where do you think those horses where do you think the victoria mile runners are going to stack up against some of the rest of these Oh, I, I, I agree, Pete. I, I certainly feel that they uh, they are among the contenders in here. Of course, you know, we have everyone's darling Sodashi. She returns in here. Uh, interesting, she has yet to win since the Victoria Mile last year, uh, but has been, been no worse than third since that effort. You know, obviously winning race everyone... last time, I think you could. Yeah, or, yeah. Maybe I'm being a homer, but I, I thought it was <laughs> a pretty nice effort. Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, you know, listen, I... I I can honestly say I, I've never been uh, been part of the Sodashi fan club. You know, yeah, she's great. And, uh, you know, it's great seeing the White Unicorn run. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I always feel that the uh, the hearts and the heads over, overwhelm the wagering a lot of times for people. So yes. I like to take advantage of that all the time. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, uh, she lost by a desperate head last time with the song line. I thought that she was the winner, uh, you know, mid-stretch. But then again, like I said, song line came in and nipped her on the wire. And interesting is that, you know, she had Damian Lane aboard that day. She's going to get Yuga Kawada this day. So, you know, I, I think she has a big shot again. And, you know, it, she'll be there or thereabouts. But for me, she always seems to find one a little bit more, one one or more a little bit tougher in races now. So, uh, you know, she will get a weight allowance, which is good. And it's going to be the same for Songline. So both both uh, mares will get uh, some weight allowance here versus the the, the, the Colts and the, and the, and the uh, older horses. So... Again, I, I think she has a shot in here, considering again the connections there and and the fact that Kawada is going to be aboard, and that, that man that man can do no wrong right now in Japan. So, uh, again, I think she has a big shot on the weekend, Pete. In terms of a of an official selection, do you have one yet, or you're formulating that, and we'll reveal it over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com on Saturday? How do you want to handle? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I've you know I, I've I've gone through the field already, and I think I picked out you know at least a, you know for me probably four horses that I, I'm kind of looking at right now. You know, we'll talk about Songline uh, coming into this with a, with a great workout. You know, I, I typically would have had her as one of my top selections. She's one of my favorite horses in Japan. She always puts in that electric turn of foot at the end. Um, but the problem with her is just she drew the 18, so she's in the car park, which is not great for Tokyo. Uh, you know, she obviously returned to winning ways uh, last time out of the Victoria Mile, defeating the aforementioned Sodashi after a lackluster effort in Saudi. So, you know, drops back, makes that one run usually. And, um, you know, again, as, as, as I mentioned, the post isn't great, but, you know, she'll have no traffic issues, loves Tokyo, four wins from seven starts. Not my top selection, again, just because of that draw, but I do think she'll be running on late. Um, I, I don't mean to be a chalk-eating weasel here, but uh, I, I probably will go with uh, Serifos as one of my top selections. Uh, very impressive workout coming into this. Uh, Damian Lane back aboard. Damian Lane won the Japan Derby last week, so he kind of has the hot hand right now in terms of jockeys. Um, you know, he, he won the mile championship last year in November and looked to be, a, you know, a, a big chance in Dubai making his return in March. You know, he showed that day that, you know, mile and eighth was a little too long for his liking, but returns back here to Tokyo where, you know, he has one win from three starts. But, you know, again, I think he's probably one of the best in Japan right now at a mile, uh, comfortable surroundings, again, hot jockey. So I think, you know, again, all the favoritism going to him makes sense. Um, I one horse that kind of just has jumped off the page, and after seeing his kind of workouts and, and what he's been up to recently, is uh, a horse by the name of Red Ma Rev. 
So he is a long shot in here. Uh, he had a stellar workout coming into this. Uh, you know, he's a really bred son of uh, Lord Canaloa, being out of a deep impact mare who's also by admire Groove. So again, regal ped pedigree here for this one. Uh, developing four-year-old for surprisingly, I, I know I know you know him, but uh, Masayoshi Abina, who's the the ex jock, you know, ex star jock turned trainer, uh, got him his first graded winner. Uh, so interesting connections there for Redmond Rev. Uh, comes in off a of score in the seven furlong grade two KO high spring cup, um, but has had success at the mile distance at Tokyo in the past, you know, three, five at the track. And then also, you know, his connections are, are right there. You know, if you want to have one sort of worrying note for him is just the fact that he seems to be one of those on again, off again types. And this is the off again race for him. But, you know, I, I think that the price will be right for him and he won't be one of the favorites in the race. In my yeah, opinion. and the early be. betting looks like one yep. that could be a very, very big number, Redmond Rev. And, and, you know, when they're young like that, I, I'm not as committed to the pattern when it's the, in the as we call them, the in and outers. If the yeah. And when the price is like that, I would not use that to talk you off. What about our old pal Schnellmeister taking some <laughs> of the early money here? You've, you've, uh, You've had this horse as a winner before on these airwaves and seems like a, a pretty rock-solid yardstick in terms of the form. Yeah, and, and I think Schneemeister on his on his best day is, you know, obviously one we can look at as, as one with, a, you know, a, a big shot. Um, you know, he, he did bounce back last time out with uh, a, a win in the Yomuri Miller's Cup, which, you know, is back on April 23rd at Kyoto. Uh, he'll get Christophe Lemaire board as well. So, yeah, I, I think he has a shot. Um, you know, the kind of the, the worry I have is just the fact that, you know, he his form has been kind of spotty uh, recently over the, I guess, over the, we'll say the past year. So it's good to see him bounce back. You know, he, he finished that race in a, in, a, in a crazy time. It was like, you know, uh, sub 132 mile for that race last time out. So, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was flying late. Uh, again, another another horse who seems to like Tokyo, uh, you know, four for four in the money there. So, you know, I, I think he obviously deserves a long look, but it's just I still have a few questions with him about, you know, just that consistency, if you will. And and really, if that last race was an aberration or was it just really him returning to form again, which I, I, I think it may be. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll need a bit of a, a price on him to kind of say, yes, he's he's kind of the one I want to look at in terms of one of my top selections people. I hear what you're saying, and and right now a very solid favorite in the market. And with those attendant questions, especially from a five year old, for me, when that the big race, the big time figure increase, I'm more tempted at this time of year for a three year old or a four year old to buy into that. With a five year old or older, I'm tempted to lean a little bit more towards regression. Any of the others you want to name check or have on your short list in here? Yeah, and I think we do have to talk about uh, about a horse called Jack Door. Um, you know, Jack Door is really one of the, in my opinion, he's one of the favorites. He came out of the uh, Grade One Osaka High last time out. Um, you know, it's it's interesting for him and just the fact that uh, in looking at his PPs, I'm just like, wow, has, has Jack Door ever run that short? And I, I had to actually go back to his his life lifetime P, PPs to see. And here is kind of something that we, we can see in, in the, the world outside of North America, Pete, and the fact that Jack Dorr has run every single one of his starts at a mile and a quarter. So from his two-year-old debut through to that win last time out, every single start has been at a mile and a quarter. I, I, just, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. So, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, and and just the fact that he's cutting back here to uh, to the mile distance. So you know he is a uh, he is a speedball. 
He is a speedball, but you know what? He's one of those horses that really is a speedball that has quality, uh, not cheap speed. He will take this field as long as as, as he can go. Um, again, I do have some concerns with uh, his last workout wasn't that great coming into this. Um, but, you know, again, uh, the quality is there. He's a group one winner, won a group one last time out. So I think really this is just them trying it out just to see what all the other options they may have should, you know, because, again, there's only two big uh, group one races at a mile and a quarter in Japan being the uh, aforementioned Osaka High, and then we have the Tenno Show Autumn in the in the fall. So, you know, again, they, they had to find a spot for him. The uh, the 2200 distance of the Takarazuka Keenan in a couple of weeks may be a little too long for their thinking. So that's why I think they're cutting him back to the mile to see what other options they have moving forward. Yeah, it seems sensible. Take a shot, see what uh, t- see what happens. We'll see what where the price goes with Jack Door and all the rest. And there's going to be much more information on Saturday afternoon over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, including uh, picks, analysis, past performances too, if you want to dig in and do some of your own work. And then we always point people also over to the humanity.jp website. Uh, if you're an English speaker, make sure to toggle to English. Um, you'll have a much better experience with the website and un- unless you're like uh, Alex Henry and have taught yourself Japanese to learn more about <laughs> studying the form. Um, before I let you go, Klaus, I did want to ask you about your trip to Sweden. I assume you saw Edison over there. I'm sure folks saw the fantastic coverage he was doing I have to say, Lee Luppet looked like a ton of fun. And next year, if I don't have a wedding on Memorial Day weekend, I might try to join you guys over there. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic race. Uh, you know, one of the world's greatest trotting races or harness races, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the, the folks in, in Sweden at ATG put on a, uh, a heck of a show, you know, whether, whether it be the, uh, you know, the, the, the wrestling type introductions for the drivers at the start of the day, you know, the Metallica blurring in the uh, in the crowd. <laughs> And the, uh, you know, there's a, there's a driver there called Bjorn Goop. And it was interesting because he has his own fan club or cheering section in the stands where, you know, he would, he would come onto the track and you would just hear the fans go goop, 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 goop. <laughs> and like, you know, and this is, he knew this, this is like, you know, like, like a hundred guys like chanting his name. So it was like, you know, he has like this rock star status as a driver. So awesome. uh, interesting, but uh, yeah, they, they, they race hard over there. So in terms of the race itself, um, you know, they have, they have the, the qualifying heats earlier on in the afternoon and then the final, uh, you know, towards the end of the card. So yeah, it's just a fantastic day of racing, uh, you know, great weather and, and, you know, anyone that uh, is a fan of harness racing or just racing in general, uh, should go, should head out there. Stockholm's a, a beautiful country, uh, sorry, a beautiful part of Sweden and a beautiful country. So, um, definitely you know, there's more to see there other than just the racing. And if you're interested in getting up to speed on the Swedish racing in general, we're going to be having a lot more coverage vis-a-vis Edison in the first over show. And we recommend folks keep it locked here in the moneypodcast.com to learn more. Super fun stuff. Love having you, Klaus. Appreciate your ability of expertise on a wide variety of subjects. We'll have you back soon to talk about those big BCBC qualifiers because I want people to make their their travel plans, hopefully, and be able to come up. I'm still trying to figure out. Um, Woodbine Mile, I don't think I can miss. Uh, Kings Place harder with Saratoga, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to try to make it across the border, and hopefully we'll see a lot of contest players there. Thank you, Klaus. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete, and we'll, we'll see you next week at the Belmont. Love it. We're proud to be partnered with the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the KTDF and have led to an incredible enhancement to the Kentucky racing scene. 
KTDF dollars and purses are only for Kentucky bred horses. So breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profits and return on racing and breeding investments. Because of the benefits of the KTDF, Churchill Downs Racing and the Kentucky Racing Circuit as a whole continue to be on an incredible upward trajectory. For more information, please check out inthemoneypodcast.com slash KTDF. Next up, we have a segment I'm excited about, brought to us by our friends at the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund for a stakes-laden card at Churchill Downs. We bring in one of the people I always like to talk to before I wager at Churchill because he has a vast institutional knowledge of the place and is also a darn sharp handicapper. Scott Shapiro, what's going on, my man? What's up, Pete? Hope your uh, travels have been good. And yeah, we've got a, a fun card here. Stephen Foster preview day, six stakes races. Looking forward to it quite a bit. Let's dive right in, my man. And we're going to go, th- we're going to do more than we usually do on the show because there's just, there's a lot of interesting stuff to talking about. Starting with race number five, which is the grade three regret for these three year old fillies going a mile and an eighth. My reading of the race, um, was pretty simple at at uh, at first glance. Looking at number three, Mission of Joy against number five, uh, Papilio, for our friends over at Medallion Racing. Uh, I love the trip that I see Mission of Joy getting after encountering what I thought was all manner of trouble last time. But let me ask you the key question: Is it as simple as a match between these two, or can you see somebody else getting into it here? I think it is. I think Mission of Joy and Papilio, both exiting the Edgewood, are, are the clear two horses in here. Miss Riddler might find herself loose on the lead, but I just don't think she's fast enough. And I think Mission of Joy, with Tyler Gaffleone aboard, will be just breathing down her neck throughout. And you mentioned the trouble, Pete. It was significant traffic issues, clipped heels, and re-rallied. I thought it was a game effort to be beaten just the length in the aforementioned Edgewood. I give the uh, big look here to Mission of Joy, not anything overly creative, but a horse that I'll be willing to single in all the horizontals oh it's good to know i like that maybe maybe we'll lean that way and we'll try to we'll try to pick up uh, we'll try to pick up some value as we go through this sequence which continues in race number six the aristides stakes we're going six furlongs on the dirt we have a short field but this is a short field where i think you can at least tell a story about uh every horse in the race and we also have a huge storyline with number four bango looking for what is it the the 11th win at churchill (laughs) pretty good huh 11 wins is good for a career let alone on one racetrack and i agree with you pete this might have only come up with a field of five but it's not difficult to make a case for all five runners. You've got Sibelius and Gnight coming back from the Dubai Golden Shaheen in their first start back. That could go either way. They're obviously talented. Bango is my lukewarm top pick. The uh, the last effort on May 4th could have been, it might have been as good as any in his career. Might be at his best as a six-year-old. Strava's been great over this racetrack and ran a good dead heat uh, effort, put forth a good dead heat effort on May 4th. That was Thurby. And Tejano Twist, if they go at it on the front end, has a tremendous late run. So I could see using all five even, but I did lean on Bango most in this spot. Who did you have as your official pick slash backups to Bango or co-A's with Bango? I had it as Bango, and then I thought that the one and the three were the other A's, and Tejano Twist and Strava were the B's. But that's kind of the way that the the market's going to play it, the public's going to play it. So I'll probably single Bango on one ticket and use all maybe in the other. I I just don't know what to do with Goodnight and Sibelius coming back from Dubai. I don't know if I believe in the bounce like I used to, and both of them are super talented. 
Yeah, I was thinking Gunite was maybe the one we wanted of those two for the way the track was playing at that time in Dubai. Tepid Gunite selection for me, but it's tricky, and I, I don't blame you. If you get strong enough, if you can separate enough in other places and play a ticket like you described where you have some lines just running through the four and then others more defensively using the using every run, runner in the field, I don't hate it as long as the construction on the rest of the ticket is yeah. right. No, that's exactly it, Pete. I mean, it matters with construction. It matters where you're going to be creative in other spots or whether you're formful throughout. If you're going to be formful throughout, I'd take a stand in this race. If you've got some creative opinions, I can see opening it up to all of them. I have a horse I wanted to mention to you. I don't know how clever this horse is, but it certainly seems to me like one you might be able to get a little bit of separation from in race number seven, the Audubon stakes for these three-year-olds going a mile and an eighth. I was very interested in the two-runner Mendelssohn's March in this spot, just based on how fast this horse had run on dirt previously. And then I just felt like there were there were a number of excuses the last day um, in, in the American, a race that was kind of roughly run in general. I'm just not willing to give up on this horse. And I do think that as the morning line predicts, there's going to be a ton of support for Sharar, a horse that you know, I just got to be honest, I don't know much about. Um, off that form, um, in uh, off the form in Maidan, and then Webslinger, who I thought was you know pretty darn lucky to prevail the last day in the in the American. But I, if those two take all the money, I think Mendelssohn's March is an interesting alternative. How do you see it? I picked Mendelssohn's March, so I hope you're on to something. This is a cult <laughs> that Kenny McPeak had talked about being his most talented three-year-old, maybe a derby-type horse early on in the year. Got put up via DQ, debuting, gone two turns over the side at Fairgrounds, then won over the sloppy gone at Oakland, and then was kind of thrown to the wolves in the bluegrass in hopes of getting into the derby. Finished a well-beaten six that day. But I agree with you in the American turf. Roughly run race, and this horse was bumped at the start, was along the inside, was just never in a comfortable position. I I consider it a race where I could toss this, you know, basically put a line through it while Web Slinger, while wide throughout, was in the clear and avoided a lot of those issues. I'm with you with Sharar. I don't have a strong opinion on this cold who's only raced in Dubai, but he did get out of the gate slow on February 24th when we saw him last in Dubai in that allowance event there. And the runner-up is a horse that's two for nine, but both of the wins have come at seven furlongs, and that was a mile and a quarter. So those are horses that I might use defensively if I'm creative. I thought Desert Duke might be another alternative with a little separation source didn't get to the front of the American turf the race ended up collapsing the prior two starts were good ones when he did make it to the front end particularly that first level allowance of Bennett Keelan when he dominated that field at nine to one let's talk about the Shawnee stakes we've got grade three action going a mile and a 16th here and a field of eight going postward lots of uh, familiar names a horse we've talked about a ton on the podcast makes her return to the races hidden connection for our friends at uh, black type thoroughbreds a versatile runner could get a great stalk and pounce trip would have to reverse the form with number six frost point i was thinking of maybe just using both of them but boy it's dangerous there's a lot of horses that could win this how did you end up picking it Man, we're seeing eye to eye. I hope it's a good sign, not a bad one. I, I do I do like Frost Point over Hidden Connection in here, Pete. I mean, Frost Point has really gotten good over our last few races, and maybe there was the thought that it was the one-turn mile at Aqueduct that uh, was to her liking. She rattled off two dominant wins. 
She went to Keeneland, stretched out the two turns, and was very strong in the double dog there, coming home very quickly in that race under Flavian Pratt and getting the best of Hidden Connection, who kind of thought maybe it's seen better days. She ran a good race in the Houston Ladies Classic, three back, but that was over the muddy going. But she really ran a good race under Ray Gutierrez on April 21st in the double dog there, and I think she's going to sit a real good stalking trip with a target off of travel column. So for me, it's six seven frost point and hidden connection as A's. I can make a mild case for Pauline's Pearl, but the but the price is probably going to be underwhelming. She was caught wide throughout in the La Troyenne and maybe idiomatic getting back to two turns, but her best races have come over the all weather at Turfway Park. All fair points there. Yeah, I think I like your case for the trip. Hidden connection could be the rare horse that's actually better stalking as opposed mm-hmm. to being the, the, the you know being the hunter rather than the hunted. I think that's the hope for them to reverse form there with Frostpoint, who was so good last time. We'll see how that form line ends up stacking up. Race number nine is next. It's the grade three Arlington. We're going a mile and a 16th on the turf. We've got uh, the return to the races of set piece. This is a horse who I have trouble getting in tune with historically. And I see eight to five on the morning line. And I'll be honest, my first gut is how are we going to beat set piece? But then I keep coming back to the pace of this race with so many leading types. And I think set piece is the best closer in this race, full of speed, very tough trip last time too against the flow, etc. I don't know. I, I got to ask you: Is eight to five too thin on this seven-year-old at this point, or should I just go with what my nuts and bolts handicapping is telling me? Well, he's certainly a horse that likes to find trouble, right? But the last time in the opening verse was one of those many times. But that was a slow pace, and you talked about it. He stretches out an eight sixteenth uh, of a mile here. He's drawn to the outside, and there is an honest pace, at least on paper, with got get smoking. Classic Causeway, Tiberius, Mercurius, even Royal Patronage. He'll be sitting in the back. The outside post hopefully keeps him out of trouble. Just, you know, stay to, stay out the back and stay in the clear, and he should be able to run this field down. Do you want to single him at a likely short price? That's a tough question. I did think Royal Patronage, while on the wrong lead much of the stretch, was much better than we have seen of him in the States in his first start as a four-year-old and uh, maybe capable of taking a step forward and springing the minor upset. I thought it was those two pretty much. I thought the, uh, you know, classic Causeway's got some back class, but he's going to have to probably sit just off the pace with Getz smoking on the outside i thought royal patronage was the only one that i wanted to use in trying to upset set piece not overly creative we are in lockstep here i did i also wanted to give a shout to royal patronage just based on the back form and i like the idea that this horse might be heading back in the right direction that form of the last race working out well i went and dug through formulator and the three to come back have run improved figures of four, 10, and 13 points. So if that figure ends up being a little low, maybe that race is a little bit better. Royal Patriot, it should be uh, right there if the right kind of trip can be worked out. Let's go to race number 10. We've got the blame. Grade three action going uh, a mile and an eighth. Rattle and roll back back quick in here, just 15 days off. Imlico special. (laughs) Very curious to see how you have figured this one out or, or, or well, let's start with that question. Are you with or against rattle and roll? He's been good over his last X number of starts. Really good. I loved his effort in the Ben Ali and it was the, the Ben Ali and it was the lo- slowest of his most six most recent races. But he's coming back too quickly for me, Pete. He was kind of all out to beat speed bias. I, I was against him admittedly in the Pimlico special and he proved me wrong that day, just getting up in the nick of time. 
I'm going to take a swing against them. We're pretty formful in many of these stakes races, so I want to try to open it up, get a little bit of separation. How about you with rattle and roll? Yeah, I'm I'm against for just feels like a lot of racing in a short amount of time and a race where everything worked out. It was one of those cases where not breaking well actually probably played to his advantage the last day. I think you're supposed to take a shot against. Who did you land with on top? I landed on number four, Call Me Fast, uh, who I think just continues to get better for Michael Pulich. Not only has he taken a step forward as a four-year-old, but since adding ground, he's three or he's he ran three really good races of four in 2023. The lone poor effort came with a slow start and a brutal voyage in the grade three Essex handicap. The blinkers came off after that race. Michael Pulich took off the shades, and he ran a big race, losing a rattle and roll, but didn't get a good, as good a trip. Slight stumble at the start. Brian Hernandez Jr. with a magical effort uh, was saving ground during the middle part of the race and making a solid middle move on rattle and roll. Julian Le Peru made a run at him. It wasn't good enough, but I think with the rest versus rattle and roll, third start since the better, third start uh, in what less than six weeks. I think Call Me Fast has a chance to turn the tables. And I'm also going to give a big chance to number seven, Pioneer Medina. Louis Saez just riding so well here at Churchill Downs, dominating the jockey standings here in Louisville. And I'm just scared of him on the front end. I, you know, I don't know if I, what I fully think of this Colt as overall talent, but I think this is the kind of spot where he can go to the front and potentially hold off all comers. So I'm a four and seven as A's. I could make a case for most of these runners outside of Barber Road and Santon. I think Santon, I think this feels stabby to try the dirt after all the turf uh, success. And Barber Road to me is just a cut below, if not two cuts. I, I don't disagree with any of that. Jessica Paquette may get mad at us for knocking her, her boy Barber Road, but hopefully <laughs> he tells her. Um, I had Call Me Fast on top as well. Wow. Isn't this funny today? And that was just <laughs> such a big run, splitting, rattling, rolling, pioneer of Medina. And I think could reverse form with the top one. Basically, like you said, I think we're both being a little a little polite about the ride, maybe. But let's just say with a better trip and ride this time around, I think Call Me Fast can get the job done. Don't mind the idea of backing up with Pioneer of Medina at all. The other horse, though, that I'll throw in there that you didn't mention, though you wasn't amongst your eliminations, was the Two Mask Parade. Very flat looking last time, but now second time off the layoff with plenty of back races, Caught a lot of money for that return last time. But, you know, maybe it was the kind of thing where it was training well and still just needed it in the afternoon. And now second off the layoff can do better. So four is the A for me. I'll go two and seven as backups in this spot. And that brings us to our last race. We'll see. If we agree about this one, we've really got to put a ticket together for the, for, uh, for, for something that's fit. <laughs> we've got a maiden special weight with that $120,000 uh, purse. Thank you, KTDF. Billy's and Mares three and up. We're going seven furlongs on the dirt. We've got a field of 10. How are we going to get paid, my friend? Well, there's some serious fillies and mares in this spot. And I think the most serious, hopefully, is number nine, Little Prankster, who really ran well on debut, bet down a two-to-one favoritism and just ran into a buzzsaw in Sweet Azteca who went fast early and forgot to stop. But I thought this daughter, a practical joke, went a running race that day, took a ton of support and should move forward here with the start under a belt and with the added furlong. But there's a lot. I mean, this is a serious group. You've got American Retros run two seconds to start her career, gets Luis Saez along the inside. You've got Methodology, a firster for Brad Cox. It's a half to Mataraya, the 2022 
Acorn and Eight Bells winner, of course, that earned $1.5 million. And then the outside horse in Zaitlos, who uh, we'll find out how good her effort was on April 15th, got a big number. Scylla races on Friday afternoon, the maiden breaker, the full to Tacitus. And you can even make an outside case for number five, Dryana, who debuted for Ben Colebrook and ran well on debut. His horses generally take a big step forward in career start, too. But Little Prankster is my top pick. I like it. I mean, we're we're all around each other once again. I put Zeitlos on top. My angle here, maybe this is flaky, but I just thought, given how cold the barn was at the time, was part of, and, and what a big run that was, mm. was part of the reason why I like Zeitlos. I also like the fact that four of the five to run back out of that race have improved their figures, and I thought we'd get a good trip. So th- that was that good was point. the Zeitlos. Yeah, that, that, that was the case in a nutshell. Um, and then methodology, you mentioned the half to Monterea by Uncle Mo, both the dam and Monterea one on debut and that gate work looked obvious, just needed to have there. And I need nines too, just based on how strong the little prankster run is. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping it ends formfully with some selection of the 10 and two or nine, but I'll take another look at your, uh, at the one and five that you mentioned as well. Well, I know you got to go to work, my friend, so I'm going to let you jump, but we'll, we'll see on TV on Saturday for this loaded looking Churchill card. Appreciate the work you do and the time you take to come and join us. No, always enjoy chatting. Looking forward to uh, the card tomorrow. And uh, yeah, we'll get started uh, 11.30 a.m. for the uh, preview show. And racing kicks off, as always, with our afternoon cards this time of year at 12.45 p.m. Eastern. Great stuff, Scott. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete. Next up on the show, very happy to have back a friend doing double duty on the show today, covering Belmont with me. You can read his work covering Belmont every day they run over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And we're also going to tack on some coverage from Monmouth with the big Pick Your Prize Day. Really excited to be down there. And part of my process in general, when I'm going to be betting a card seriously, I love to talk it through with someone with the abilities of Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? I'm doing great, Pete. Good to uh, good to have you back and glad to be talking about racing. This is a fun, fun time of year when you have that last weekend before the Belmont. And then, of course, it goes into Belmont week, which for me, I always look forward to coming up there so yeah very very pumped what are your plans what will be your first day out at belmont i will be out there for probably the second half of the card if not the whole thing on thursday and then obviously friday and saturday as well terrific will you be playing in the belmont contest do you think that is the plan at this point so god willing excellent excellent yeah we i was trying to I haven't gotten any copy on that, but I know if you go to the Naira website and navigate around, you'll be able to find out how to play that. And you can play on Naira bets or you can play in person for that two-day event. The cards are going to be loaded. We're going to have extra coverage on the plus side as well for Thursday and Friday. Might pull you in to get you involved in some of that. But we're here today to talk about this pick six from Belmont on Saturday the 3rd. It starts off with a $25,000 claimer going six furlongs on the dirt. What numbers do you imagine will be on your tickets? Yeah, you know this is a this is a very challenging sequence, especially with the competitive competitive stake race um, later on in the Pennine Ridge. So fifth race is a, kind of a vanilla type of affair at six furlongs. You know, I thought no more talk would be tough when push comes to shove. I, I'll tell you, Pete, I realized that uh, I didn't miss David Jacobson not being in the game for a while. This has been this has been a little bit of a challenge having him back. And hard to read, maybe, hard to yeah, read what's going on with the straight class moves and whatnot. Is that what you mean? Very, very hard to read. Very random at times. Um, you know, horses that you're not expecting to run well, run very well. He he generally, 
you know, he's a claiming guy, so he gets them into shape and they, they seem to continue to perform for a while. This looks like a race where he's just got no more talk better at this point than the majority of the horses he's running against. Airport is the alternative and Rudy Rodriguez's barn has clearly, you know, kind of come to life of late after a very, very tough winter and really a tough second half of 2022. It should be an honestly run race with Lohengrin too in there who kind of only has one way to go. So I'm looking for no more talk to get a good trip from just off the pace. And I think his last race is probably just a little bit better than it looks on paper. But again, I mean, we're talking about Jacobson. So this is this horse's fourth start in in uh, five weeks, right? So he's been running, he's running a lot. And, and all things considered, he's been performing pretty well with his best race to date last time out. So I'll, I'll use the one I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to use the one. I'll back up probably with the four and six. Makes sense to me. I actually put longer in two on top of, of the six. My theory just being, um, being in light projected to be clear on the pace projector dropping in from the allowance ranks. I was just hoping longer at two could win the speed battle. And I figure if, uh, if airport ends up taking the starch out of the four, it would set up perfectly for no more talk. So I was going to go four one, but I think your approach also makes sense in there. Are you confident airport will be better speed than longer in two, or do you, do you think it'll be a battle? I think it might just be an outside speed situation where he's capable of rating and he'll just sit there in a good spot. The, the, the difference to me is that that Colonel Bowman uh, loss last time looks good considering Colonel Bowman came back and beat a really good field on Saturday. So I'll give Airport a little bit of an upgrade for that reason. Wow, that makes perfect sense when you're looking at the form. Let's talk about race number six, an allowance race for three-year-old and up Phillies and mares. We're going six furlongs on the inner turf, and we've got a uh, an oversubscribed field. I thought that Diamond Hands really looked good in this spot. I felt like she'll be ideally suited to a longer turf sprint looking at the pace figures. Should be in a good position early, plenty of bottom. I was inclined to come up with the two coming out of the April 16th race, the uh, the seven, Anna Karenina, and also the uh, the 10 runner girl in a rush. Nothing too clever from me here. Well, how do you see this one? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Chad entered Anna Karen in, a, in an allowance race at Mammoth a couple of weeks ago, which probably isn't the greatest sign because he kind of treats Mammoth like the AAA. Yes. And, and I, don't, I don't think he probably has a, an enormous amount of confidence in her. The diamond hand situation is, is a little tricky because I generally don't like cutbacks on the turf, but I do think that one that showed speed like this one is probably a better cutback. The blinkers going on, you know, might be helpful as well. I think Todd is really trying to get this owner a win too, because they've spent an awful lot of money and they, they've yet to win a race. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I, I kind of, I wanted to try maybe slightly better prices in here, like gunboat who is coming back with a very long layup, but Shug's good off long layoffs, Lasix for the first time. This Philly probably always wanted you know, a six furlong type trip and, and still ran well in a race like the wait a while around two turns. I don't know if Cancel is really the best fit for her because she wants to be on the lead. And then, you know, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm overrating the performance a little bit, but I like the race Decanter ran last time and I'm willing to give her another shot against winners um, after winning at 11 to one, because I think you're going to get about the same price. I think you're going to get a good price here. And so I'm a little intrigued there. I thought Gallon of Rush was relatively obvious as well. So I've not cut quite finalized my numbers. Um, you know, I know I'll have some combination of the, the three, four, six, seven, and ten, uh, probably grading it out a little bit more as I as I dig into the race. All right, I'll I'll, I'll use my um, gut on how you describe them to separate them for the notes, and then of course, folks looking for the final selections can check out the piece over on in the as well. 
we move on from race six and we go to race seven where we've got a maiden special weight affair going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Nick, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, good good spot here. Um, I was talking to Steve Bick about this race because it kicks off the cross-country pick five as well. And, um, you know, the question you have to ask yourself is how much you trust redistricting, who's a gelding that's finally debuting at three after getting purchased for about 200 grand at Tattersall's last October. Clearly, Chad Brown has had a ton of success with these types, specifically for, uh, for Seth Klarman over the years. Um, Ohana Honor improved first-time turf. I don't love that race. I don't, I don't think that that was a particularly strong maiden race. The, the winner was a Bill Mott horse with virtually no turf pedigree at all. And the second horse, When Love Takes Over, who's also in this race, doesn't have much turf pedigree either. Cumberland is going to be the favorite. Betting speed horses on the Widener turf is an awfully tough thing to do, but you have to at least recognize that this son of classic umpire ran a good second to Kalik, who is going to be in the, in the Penine Ridge a little bit later that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. So all that said, I want to pick fly right. I, I want to I want to bet fly right as well. First time Lasix off the long layoff, given how well he ran on debut. Um, but you know you you know what you're getting yourself into with this kind of situation because it is a lower percentage trainer. Not that Leo Giamatti is is incapable of having one ready. So I'm going to pick fly right on top. I'm going to use the seven and eight as A's. Um, I'll probably use the two and four prime as backups, and um, and I could upgrade either one of them if there's a, a change. A little bit of six in there too, potentially, or did you ultimately end up against against? No, I'm going to be against the, the the four and the six, I think, and just or three and six rather, and just look for for other options. Seven, eight with two, four. I put redistricting on top. It is bizarre that this horse uh, with this with this kind of bloodline. What kind of an actor must have this thing been to uh, to have to get gelded, right? <laughs> it's uh exactly a brother that won uh seven million it's uh it's and it was a famous horse in the saint nicholas abbey but i mean the, the kingman stats with firsters are terrific chad you know he, he'll 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 debut them where they're gonna win and and i mean it just just seemed too obvious to not make the top pick i thought that the the case on cumberland i was i was pretty tepid but i do feel like will emerge the best of speed, if that's what you want to do. And then I liked your fly right as well coming off this layoff. But I mean, this, this was a, this was a pretty nice effort the last day up in the Vanguard stuck on. Okay. And just, you know, good form all in all, when you go back through those PPs. So I had it eight with the two and the seven on the backup line, Nick seven, eight on top two, four on the backup. Let's talk about race number eight, where we've got a dirt race, New York bread allowance going a mile and a 16th. Field of eight, time form U.S. says the pace is going to be fast. Maybe that will benefit a runner like Union Fleet, who could get a perfect trip um, sitting just off and has enough tactical speed that isn't going to be coming from uh, the clouds or anything. Speaking of coming from the clouds, I will probably include some Shadow Dragon, who does look like the best closer, but I was just worried about being too far back. Really a horse that doesn't start running until they're coming out of the turn but certainly fits on figures and, you know, of course has that form line to looms boldly from way back in the day as well. Eight and seven for me in race eight. How do you see it? Yeah. I thought shadow dragon was close to a cinch in this race, at least if he runs, you know, with any, any type of performance similar to his last three, if he improves at all. And the reason I say that is because Cephalo's mission, who I, I think if I had to bet is very likely to be scratched. I don't think that Linda is uh, who likes to scratch period is going to want to send this horse out from the rail in a pace loaded race because he has no shot of getting the lead. And the other thing was I bet this horse last time I I singled him in the early pick five. I thought he was just about as easy a winner on paper as you'd find. And, um, and he lost mainly because he doesn't want to go this far. 
So I don't really see why she thinks he wants to go a mile in the 16th. And, and so I, I don't, I don't like his chances at all. Of course, our friends at 10 strike uh, claimed 42 ace last time. You can imagine he's going to show plenty of speed, especially with Kendrick. And that's kind of his game. You also have Kaz Palace and Ormstown who've shown big speed in the past as well. So this just feels like an, an enormous setup for shadow dragon who uh, I'm going to single so that I have a little bit more flexibility later on. Makes sense. Hey, speaking of looms boldly, I was proud of his race the other day. Felt like the seven was maybe a little too far. That was a that was a toughish field. I I feel bad there aren't more New York bred six furlong stakes in the rest of the calendar. Not quite sure what the team is going to do. I, I guess maybe you think about going to open company because I do not think he's a good candidate to to stretch out and take advantage of the, the New York bred stakes program from here. Did 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 he run all right? Am I overrating my boy or what did you what did you objectively think of the race? I know I can count on you to be honest. No, I thought he ran okay. I, I really do. I, I didn't didn't think uh, that he disgraced himself at all. Um, I'll tell you the interesting thing about that division, Pete, is that, and again, I mean, there aren't a lot of opportunities for him sprinting, which is the concern, but that division is about to be in the midst of a little bit of upheaval because the, the horse lifetime of chance is, is, I mean, he's done. So he, you know, he was winning. He won the race at, at Aqueduct, and, and I don't think you can count on much from him moving forward. Um, they got an 88 fig, which it's about time that they raised the looms boldly 67 from April 14th. It's, it's like everybody's run 10 points better out of it. Yep. So, um, that fig needs to come up. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he's not that far off from being competitive in some of the, uh, the six furlong stake races around the, the Midwest and the mid Atlantic for three-year-olds. So I, uh, I, I don't think there was any disgrace in that at all. The winner was game and the winner's good. But the winner ultimately will end up going longer, and that will help. That will help lose boldly significantly. Yeah, that's a, those are all good points. When I'm, you know, this is the great thing. The hands he's in, I know we know he's going to end up in the right spots, whatever they may be. We'll, we'll obviously keep following that story, self indulgent though it may be. Let's move on on this Belmont card to the stakes race at Belmont, the Pennine Ridge, Grade Two action, mile and an eighth on the inner turf. Gosh, you know, if they could just get this division together a little bit we got what is it four races across uh four tracks for the same groups of for the same theoretical category of horse coming up this weekend pretty incredible huh yeah four four races between a mile and a mile and an eighth for three-year-old colts on the turf it's uh yeah little little bit of overkill i think is the the best way to describe it but this one is the strongest in terms of of quality um, primarily because of Silver Knot, right? Kit Kalik is a horse that is good, and it's good to see him back as well. Um, but he also was dressed up because his last race was was just pillow soft in terms of the trip he got on the front end. You know, with that said, you kind of look through this field, and it's like, well, why isn't Kalik going to go to the lead again? And why can't he be kind of tough right back? So that's the worry that you have. Um, but I do think it's also a little bit acknowledgeable that this horse is moving forward. Um, and so I think you want to, you know, you want to give him some consideration in that respect. Look, that was a gut wrenching defeat for Farbridge last time, and I'm not going to argue with anybody who wants to to focus some of their attention on Farbridge. Um, I wonder when push comes to shove if he'll end up going off the favorite over Silver Knot. Uh, based on the way they've been handling Appleby over here, I don't think that's the case. I think Silver Knot will go off the favorite, but of course David's you know the best morning line maker out there, so I'll be interested to see how it goes. You know, I'm going to use the four and six. Um, I'll use a little bit of eight. I, I don't, you know, I'm not completely convinced on Farbridge. Um, he, I, I want him to, to continue to improve a little bit, but he's obviously a major player. 
Yeah, that was a roughly run race last time in the American. I was very much tempted to give him an extra or, or another chance, I should say. But it's it's also kind of like a last time was the time for Farbridge. I still don't know how he's six to one in that race. I thought it was incredible value, um, given that you know the the, the 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 Chad Brown horse who he beaten was bet like couldn't lose. Um, help me with the name of that one, or I'll Carl Spackler. Yeah, yeah. How could I forget Carl Spackler's name? That's a yeah. huge host fail right there. Um, but yeah, I I do want him back, but I think Silver Knot's the one. I mean, that was an absolute bog, um, absolute bog the, the, the last day in the in the Guineas. And this is a horse who I think is suited towards American racing. Had um, enough of an excuse that I'm not considering the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf any kind of huge failure or anything. And yeah, on form, I mean, this horse is probably supposed to be even money. So I, I mean, you, you make a great point about David. He's better than I am at this game, but uh, this is one where if I could lock in two to one on silver, Knot, I'd be extremely happy to do so. Haven't seen any international prices yet, but that might be an angle for international um, listeners to just try to get locked in there. And I'll probably play silver, Knot as an a and play far bridges a B and, and, and let that be the end of it. And if, if, uh, if the, the, the six runner ends up walking the dog on the lead, I'll just, you know, I'll curse and I'll get over it. It's, it's New York, it's New York turf racing. So that, that type of thing does happen plenty, but I'm not going to bet it that way here based on the previous concern you'd expressed about just how easy a time of things that was the last day. Let's move on to the finale at Belmont. We'll still do some diving into Monmouth after that. So plenty of more uh, in this segment to come, but let's do this nightcap 12 runners going postward in this three and up New York bred maiden claimer going a mile and a 16th on the turf. When it comes to this dollar pick six at Naira that we love, Nick, how are we going to get paid? Yeah, I think you're going to have to be relatively deep here, which of course is why I, you know, I'm glad I'm, I'm going to single shadow dragon a little bit earlier. I mean, feels to me like every bit of the two, three, four, nine, um, and probably even cons- I'll consider a little bit of the 12. I don't love collectives on the turf, but when maker claims with intent like this, you do have to, at least pay a little bit of attention. Him claiming horses and moving them dirt to turf for me has generally been a uh, a positive angle. But yeah, just a contentious race. Not not anything that um, really offers any kind of standout. Obviously, Atlanta's Acuna, who as a Mets fan, you're probably not terribly inclined to bet. Um, I mean, I would probably I would bet Angels Trout because the Angels are irrelevant, but the Braves <laughs> aren't. So, <laughs> but. Um, Angel Strout's actually a good name, but, um, Barry, the builder also looked dangerous to me. He got a little bit of a wild trip last time. I'm not sure all things considered what Javier was doing with that early rush, but gets Lasix and a weight break, obviously for a barn that's done better. So yeah, I, I didn't, you know, didn't have anybody that stood out. I thought that all of those were, were possible. And then when it comes to these forties, you want to give the horses that have been in special weight and been competitive a second look because class wise, they really, uh, they really do hold up. Quick, quick baseball story, and I don't know if you've heard this one, not or yet, but it, it may make you regret having not come to the Preakness trip, where somehow through friends of friends, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to name check or not, so I won't. It's not out of a lack of appreciation, just, you know, you never know what people want known about themselves. But anyway, we ended up in the, we ended up in Phil Nevin's office, the Angels man, manager, for like half an hour talking baseball. And like, you know, there's Otani walking by and there's, you know, hearing all these stories about the team. Just it was it was magical and just walking out of the field at Camden Yard. So I have decided I am now the, the Angels are now my fourth favorite team. So there there, there you go. I'm, 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 I've been following them with great interest since that experience. And, you know, I one thing about baseball this year and I might try to put this into a betting angle somewhere. 
it really is just all about making the tournament. And I know there's added complexity with the angels and the will they won't they uh, Otani at the, at the deadline, but I kind of think they're going to keep them. And with that, with, with what, with all you need to do to be the third wild card now, like I wouldn't count them out just yet. I'm just saying. Um, well, I don't think they'll make it, but, um, obviously I'm, you know, I, I'm an Otani fan. I'm a Trout fan. I mean, you can't just because they play in the same division as the Astros doesn't mean that I don't appreciate how great both of them are. I mean, I also love to scoff at how the organization has completely squandered the two of them and it's going to, you know, forever be in the annals of baseball history. And this isn't Phil Nevin's fault that they had two of the greatest players of all time and got, you know, more than likely will end up having had zero playoff uh, games between the two of them. I guess what it boils down to for Otani, Phil Nevin incidentally got thrown out of the, the Astros Angels game last night and he got his money's worth too. And it was, he was, he was, it was a call that he definitely should have gotten mad about. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was well worth it. But, um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. And, and I think on, you know, on that topic, if you think that there is anything less than a 90% chance that he's going to sign with you, you have to trade him because you can't, I mean, you can't risk, and, but you also have to gauge interest because you can't run the risk of getting, of losing him in free agency and getting nothing back when you might have an opportunity to get something, right? right. It's going to be hard to get what you want, you know, but hey, the, the Nationals got what they wanted for Juan Soto. Yep. So, you know, nobody is ever, nobody, I don't know if anybody will be as valuable as, um, as Otani is in terms of free agency and just what you'd be willing to give up for him. But yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting conversation. And I will, I will continue this baseball conversation very briefly by saying that yesterday I was on a flight to, to Houston and on my plane was Frank Thomas, who no I, uh, who I stopped, I stopped in the baggage claim and he took a photo with me and, uh, and my family. So very, very That's nice awesome. man. And of course, one of the, one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. Such a charismatic uh, player. I, I, I remember seeing him after the after the strike in '94, watching him play a game, a random game at Fenway, and just helping me like rediscover warm feelings for baseball. All right, we're going to put baseball on hold because we could go on <laughs> tangent after tangent here. We may do another baseball show around the All Star break. I want to check in with our man John Legaza and Nick. Obviously, you and I could have much more to talk about. I'm just saying the last point I'll make though is it's not like the, Washington was a dead team last year. The Angels are actually over 500. And only four games out of a wild card spot. So I, I'm also trying you're to right. you're right. yourself here. So it's, <laughs> you know, you're right. You're right. The problem is that, well, the, the Rangers may not play at the level that they're at right now, but the Astros are going to play this well or better the rest of the way. No, I'm not saying they're going to finish in front of them. It's just, you know, sneak in, right. you know, the, the back door is wide open in baseball these days. All right. I had two horses that you mentioned. I thought that Barry, the builder was worth using on the pace angle and, and just very quickly the nine, um, thrill of victory, I thought made a ton of sense on the drop. Just looked like the kind of horse that's supposed to do a lot better against weaker second start off the layoff. I have no problems with any of the others you mentioned, but the two and nine would be my A's in race number 10. Let's pivot and go to Monmouth. Well, we'll speed around some of this. I'm going to be doing more work on this Monmouth card. Um, I obviously I've, I've done a good pass, but I, you know, since I'm going to be there and be betting and have a chance to go to the paddock, I, I may, if I have thoughts that um, do evolve as time goes on, I'll be tweeting those, but these are my initial instincts. Let's start. The first race I looked at seriously was this two-year-old race that goes as race number six. And I thought the interesting horse was probably uh, bingo was his name. The two runner, uh, by Frosted, who has above average first-time starts uh, for the 
for the progeny. And this dam has dropped a couple of juvenile winners, one of whom won first out. That was enough to get me interested in bingo was his name in this spot. Obviously one where you'd love to see some tote and paddock signal before committing. But did you have, uh, did you have any particular thoughts on this one? Nothing too wild. I mean, ship to shore is, uh, is from Eddie Owens's barn, who's certainly capable of having one ready early on. The dam was solid. Um, the second of the two, Don't Rock the Boat, which is a great song, in addition to being a good name for a horse, uh, is, is akin to uh, Rocky Seas, who was, no, not anything special, but was at least decent enough. So, yeah, I mean, those two plus the one you mentioned, I didn't have much to add beyond that. Gotcha. Let's move to race number seven. This was another race where I had... I don't want to say it's a clever opinion, but at least a horse that's not going to be a favorite, I don't think, that I think could get a really good trip in the number four, Kyroni. Another one dropping in class. I thought maybe just moved a little too soon last time and would get a much better trip here. The other one I was interested in was the three, um, this name is okay. And I'd love to hear the story behind what name wasn't okay that then they came up with this name is okay for. But this horse, interestingly, projected on the front on time form, despite not uh, having a front-running run in in the last two runs. But I always think that's kind of interesting tactically when you, you, you see a horse. Sometimes I feel like that can portend a little more ability, just the fact that a horse can be projected to be on the lead. Don't know what kind of tactics they're going to choose, but this is a horse third time off the layoff who I thought fit with these and was another, I felt like could be um, a decent price four to one or better. I just, I wasn't enamored with the favorites in this spot and was leaning four, three, but how do you see it? Yeah. I mean, it it boils down to how you feel about customer list, right? I mean, if you, if you think the customer list um, who I would have, I thought I was going to score when this horse turned for home in the risk averse and then engineered one of the most disgraceful hang jobs in the history of horse racing. It depends on how you feel about her, right? At least I bet faith in humanity the next time out because I knew she'd win. Um, but, you know, there are alternatives. I do think Kyroni is priced a little high on the morning line at, uh, at, at 8 to 1 because those New York races are much better than what she's running against here. And, and I mean, she was beaten for third by Candle by three-quarters of a length. It feels like Candle would be like 5 to 2 in here. So I just I think that that in terms of, of kind of a comparative analysis, there's something to like there about Kyroni. So I agree. I'm going to end up using her as well. Excellent. So you're full. You, you will you will give customer list another chance, though. Yeah, one more shot. All right. I like it. So we'll go. We'll call it six four for you. Did you want to, Was there another you when you wanted me to list in the official picks? Um, no, six four is good. All right. Let's talk about our uh, next race on the card. We've got Jersey Breads in the allowance ranks going six furlongs on the dirt and a big favorite on the morning line in the form of great navigator and looking at the figures very very hard to argue i just i was being a little stubborn i think in my first go around of the race and i actually put the eight busting loose on top thinking maybe gets loose but i don't know great great navigator with paco in the irons probably not going to let that one get out of the sight I, i this might be as simple as the three but i'll back up a little bit with the eight yeah, if you trot over to the fixed odds area, you're going to be looking at probably uh, plus 140, plus 160, something like that. It's uh, He's going to be very, very short. Um, so, oh, wait, I'm saying that wrong. He's three to five on yeah. the on the fixed. Yeah, so even lower than the tote, um, which is understandable because he looks like an overwhelming favorite. You mentioned the only alternative, Bustin' Loose, but, you know, it feels like because this is Paco, he's not going to let Bustin' Loose get too far away. And a great navigator's races, just quite honestly, are much too strong. 
Yeah, I think we've I think we sussed out that four to five shot. Let's move on to a more. You and I can smoke smoke out a four to five shot with the best of them. <laughs> we'll move to this much more competitive allowance race on the turf for Phillies and mares going a mile and a sixteenth. Who did you come up with in this one, Nick? Uh, you know, this is another competitive race, and and I thought that uh, that there was at least some contention here. Uh, you know, the Tampa form generally holds up pretty well, so I didn't have a big lean against Sweet Duchess who I think will get a good trip from the inside. I do think saving ground on the Monmouth turf, especially when the rail is, is down, is uh, is really important. Um, but, you know, the concern is what you do with Enchantment, right? Enchantment is a, is a new Chad Brown runner off the ship who um, gets Lasix and obviously has every right to run well in this spot. Uh, Going to need a little bit of pace help, but should get it. And, um, and so I'm expecting her to be a little bit dangerous as well. So... I just had no special knowledge of her at the price she's going to be to to want to like stand alone or anything. But yeah, I mean, I have enchantment in the mix for sure. Anador, I thought was a little bit interesting. I feel like this was a horse, and I could be you know chasing rainbows here, but it has a lot of subtle excuses through these PPs, including some weird ones that I do believe can sometimes be a factor. Like the last day when I think the issue was she just went too slow early on and, and just didn't get any, you know, by the time she tried to get separation, closers were already rolling. It was just not the most efficient of runs. And then, you know, stuck behind a slowish pace. Um, I think Anador, this, this is my one more chance type runner who I think you will get a decent price on in this spot. I've got it seven, six, two, six is how I wrote it down for you, Nick. Does that sound about right? That's about right. Yep. We got two more races to talk about. And the next one is this allowance race going six furlongs on the dirt with a field of nine going uh, going postward. And I like the four trash talker as a horse. I thought um, off the claim here. Uh, I feel like can hold this form coming back in forty four days and might be loose or at least get a, a an easy ish trip on the front end. I think that form will stack up well. The other runner is really a co top choice for me is the number eight castle chaos. Now this horse, I feel like there's obvious excuses in the recent races, some great back races and it's a layoff, a serious layoff, but the barn does well with this type of layoff. And I felt like the, I like the look of that last um, workout, the the five in, in a minute flat best of 15 on the day. So I was going to try to make four and eight, get the job done in race number 10. Where are you? Yeah. The other prospect to me was rod to rod. I do think that that one's a little dangerous along with Trash Talker, so I'm, uh, I am I would certainly be on board with those. I think Trash Talker might be the main speed, but uh, the Jorge Delgado run at Rod 2 Rod Dangerous. The top pick for you there in race number 10. I lied. We have two more races left. They've got this loaded card for the, for the day um, for Pick Your Prize, and we go next to the Jersey Derby for these three-year-olds, and they're going one mile on the turf in this spot. Uh, very quickly, Nick, who's your pick in here? I'm going to go with Talk of the Nation. I don't see really much of a much of a reason to go against him. He just looks a little bit too good for these, given the improvement shown on the turf. And, you know, Shug gets an opportunity to run him here now that he's off the vets list. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Definitely this race to lose. Any concern about taking the more conservative spot? I do not, just because it's Shug, and I feel like he's much more likely to take one along a little bit slower like this. I think the problem was that he needed all the way until Wednesday to get off the vets list. Oh, so that's he wants, yeah. So I think that's why that's why he went here. There's a story in the DRF about it. 
I'll take a look. Race number 12, we've just got six horses to close the things out with the uh, maiden claiming 10. I'm curious what the logic was of, of them doing it that way. Uh, I went with the one dads on a roll, improved on the new surface in a race that's produced a winner, granted a winner who posted a 35 buyer, but still I'm willing to give dads on a roll a chance to close things out. How about you? One, three, and four for me. Yeah, dad's on a roll dangerous down at this level, and I do think the dropping financial strength gets a little consideration for Chad as well. Nick, we appreciate you. We will be back with you to do some more coverage of Belmont this week and can't wait to see you in person. Thanks, my friend. See you soon. Appreciate it. That'll wrap up today's edition of the show. I want to thank all of the guests as well as our founding partners. You know who they are by now. The Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Love the work they do with the Second Chances program. Had a great time at the Preakness hanging out with Tyler Frame, Second Chances graduate we've had on these airwaves. If you're curious to learn more, go to our YouTube channel and look up that interview I did with Tyler. Get a sense of his story and how the TRF and the Second Chances program saved his life as well as that of numerous Thoroughbred horses as well. We encourage you to give generously over at our page, trfinc.org slash players. And also check there for some of the cool events we have coming up helping the TRF. Ten Strike Racing, what more can I say about them? What a thrill it's been. Looms boldly. What a cool horse. What an honor to have a horse named after me. That was so fun watching it over in Italy and watching him try all the way to the line. We'll see where he turns up next. But, you know, we always root for the purple and black around here. And I never fail to have a great time hanging out with Clay and Marshall, at least one of whom I'll get to see next week. Uh, don't know what Clay's plans are, but going to be a lot of fun in any case. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. Reach out. Hit us up with comments. I'm at Looms Boldly on Twitter, or you can find me through the contact page over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can get loads of other free racing podcast picks and analysis over there as well. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as well. These are great ways you can help us out at no cost to you. And if you want more, sign up for In The Money Plus. we got a big week coming up there in themoneypodcast.com slash plus. One last thing, our free email newsletter, the best place to get all of our content, in themoneypodcast.com slash email. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. You heard him before. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. He'll be back soon from Italy. We'll have him on a show next week going over the Belmont Pick 6. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos! <laughs>